Hello, everyone. This is Joe, and welcome to Strange Sound. This is episode 62 of Strange Sound. I'm Joe. Um, glad to have you with me. As always, another week. And uh, let me start with the standard disclaimer that I issue every single week. You've heard it a million times before. If, you lis- if you've listened to this show uh, 62 times, you've probably heard it 62 times. And here it comes again. The views expressed on Strange Sound are my own. They represent neither the views of anyone associated with me nor the views of my family members, um, nor my co-workers, nor my employer. No one else's views are represented on Strange Sound other than my own. So there you have it. Strange Sound is me bloviating, talking about what I think about this or that, and sometimes the other thing. And, uh, you know, that's what you get when you come here, and that's what you expect, right? Uh, and that's that's what I got. That's all I got. So anyway, that dispensed with. Um, I wanted to issue a small correction, which uh, I heard the other day. Sometimes I actually listen to this show to make sure that I'm not saying something inutterably stupid uh, while I'm recording this. And once in a while, of course I do. Uh, Sometimes entire shows are stupid. (laughs) You may have noticed, uh, in my opinion, anyway. And... Uh, I was listening to episode 60, uh, which I think was entitled, let's see, what was it entitled? It was entitled Bad to the Bone. It was about the Minneapolis Police Department and policing in general. Um, Somewhere towards the end, I was talking about um, some recent shootings and how uh, the problems represented by the Minneapolis police department are not unique to that department, that there are problems with other departments, uh, both in major cities and in smaller uh, municipalities and and, uh, um, districts, whatever you want to call them. And I mentioned Chicago and the Toledo shooting where they shot that young man. Uh, I mistakenly referred to him as a 17-year-old in that instance. I know that I've talked about him before and mentioned his age correctly as 13. He was a 13-year-old, not a 17-year-old, and I do apologize for that. Um, That was just me misspeaking. Um, And I realized, I think I realized it after the show, I was going to uh, cut it out, but I just didn't didn't hear it. And so, uh, yeah, I listened to it again later and I realized that I had made that mistake. So my apologies. it is particularly heinous that this young man was 13 and that he was shot for absolutely no reason. Um, and <laughs> quite honestly, uh, would it have been better if he'd been 17? No, but it's still particularly heinous. Just the fact that this is a young man who's in, I don't know, seventh grade, a boy killed by the police with his hands up. Honestly, it's the thing that was said about Michael Brown, who was older, but still, that he had his hands up and that he was shot, but we couldn't prove it because it wasn't on it wasn't on video. All we had was witness accounts 
or um, word of mouth, essentially, right? But what we had in Adam Toledo's case is video, right? The the camera on the uh, on on the officer's um, uniform, and uh, yeah, we we saw it. He had his hands up, and they were empty, and he was shot in the chest by this cop and killed. And he was thirteen. In seventh grade, his whole life ahead of him. And I'm sure there are people in the Chicago Police Department who think, well, you know, that's just one less gangbanger we're going to have to deal with later, right? I'm sure there's that level of cynicism. I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but I don't think I'd be going way out on a limb to think that there are people who think that way in Chicago people who represent the powerful in Chicago, who have nothing but contempt for people like Adam Toledo. But that's, that's what it was. And I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to misrepresent that, so I do apologize. Again, Adam Toledo, 13 years old and killed by the police. Outrage. Okay, uh, that's all I have to say about that. Um, for the time being, as is my custom. I am going to read my blog post for this week. My blog posts uh, that you'll find at big-green.net. If you click on the blog tab and follow it through to um, our, I should say my, but it's really our (laughs) Big Green's um, weekly blog. Uh, we do two posts. I, you know, one is ridiculous and the other one is political rants. Uh, what I've been calling on the show, my furious rants, um, which are just brief takes on some political matter that's bugging the living hell out of me in any particular week. Uh, this week it was to do with, um, coverage of Liz Cheney, um, which, I don't know, has been getting under my skin. So I I did a post on this. Uh, The title of this, and again, you can find this at big-green.net. Follow the blog link. Look for political rants as a category. Um, It should be the first post you see, first or second. And it's dated May 7th. And the title is Making Heroes Out of False Friends. Making Heroes Out of False Friends. And it goes... Something like this. There are a few things we can say definitively about the mainstream media. One is that they tend to latch on to the most superficial issues imaginable and cover them with mind-numbing repetitiveness. Another is that they love, love, love the two-party system and believe in the concept of bipartisanship more than any normal human being. When I say bipartisanship, what I mean is any effort to reach across the aisle, compromise, and reach consensus between the two major parties on legislation, appointments, and so on. The media's fealty to this concept is pretty much absolute and mostly makes no allowance for the fact that A. Bipartisanship has kind of a toxic history and B. One of the two major parties has gone bat crap crazy over the past 30 to 40 years. Toxic Consensus Subtitle. When I think of bipartisan legislation, I think of the 1994 crime bill, so-called welfare reform, 
the Patriot Act, the resolution to authorize the use of force in the war on terror and to extend that authority to Iraq, and so on. Suffice to say, a lot of misery and death has been strewn in the wake of bipartisanship over the years, and I don't think it's coincidental. The same might be said of presidential appointments, particularly with regard to Supreme Court, to the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, I should say. John Roberts, Antonin Scalia, Samuel Alito, and even Neil Gorsuch were confirmed on a bipartisan basis, lopsidedly so in the first two cases. The Democrats who voted to confirm these justices bear some responsibility for the results of their opinions. Praising the Maverick, subhead. If you're old enough, you remember the degree to which the press loved John McCain, mainly because he straddled the center line in a politically strategic fashion. It's typically enough for these, quote, mavericks to adopt a controversial opinion on a single topic for them to be carried on the shoulders of the mainstream media. For McCain, it was campaign finance. For Liz Cheney, it's Donald Trump. I'm not sure if I've ever heard MSNBC talk about a congressional representative more than they have about Liz Cheney over the last two weeks. They're doing this on the basis of her refusal to accept her party's line on who won the presidency in 2020. In other words, she's being roundly praised for speaking a very simple, obvious truth. As a result, they are helping her build her national brand in a dramatic way, though she voted to support Trump's agenda from one end of his regime to the other. Don't buy it. Bottom line, MSNBC and other mainstream outlets are working overtime to mainstream extremists like Liz Cheney, as well as Wall Street reactionaries like Mitt Romney. As people on the left, we can't adopt the standard of the enemy of our enemy being our friend. These people are building a national brand that they hope will carry them to higher office. The difference between that and a Trump 2.0 presidency is one of degree, not of kind. Love you, Joe. That's my furious rant for the week. Hope you like it. Again, if you want to read this and not listen to me <laughs> read it to you like a bedtime story, um, you can go to big-green.net. You can subscribe to my blog. You can comment on it. There's a comment um, thingy, you know, a little plug-in that allows you to do comments. You can share it. You can disagree with it. You can, you know, leave your comments there. You can reach out to me in other ways. By all means, please do. Love to hear from you. Why haven't you called your mother? It's Mother's Day. Anyway. Um, what else have I got to say about this? Well, I don't know that I have that much to add that people haven't done a better job, um, doing on their own shows. Like I know, uh, majority report has talked about this a lot and, uh, you know, they're, they're much more keyed into this sort of thing than I am. I, I just, I, I'm approaching this from the standpoint of somebody who, listens to television as I sort of walk around the house. It's on in the background. Maybe my wife is watching MSNBC, and I just hear it through large parts of the day. I hear people praising Liz Cheney for her integrity and praising Mitt Romney for standing up to, you know, to people who are speaking obvious untruths and all this stuff. And I keep 
thinking of how these people have built their entire careers on loathsome policy choices up and down the line, supporting the worst policy choices that you can make as far as um, the better welfare of the people is concerned. And unapologetically, I mean, Liz Cheney is a horrible person. Uh, You know, she was elected by her constituency, and so she has every right to represent her constituency. But I got to tell you, her policies, her policy positions are horrible. She's advocated for war against Iran. Um, She would put us into military conflict again and again. She's a lot like her father and a lot like her mother, who is an ideologue in her own right. Look it up. Lynn Cheney. Um, so, and just as a, just as an illustration of this, and it's, it's pretty easy to find. You don't really need my help finding this. I might put a link to this on, on the, uh, in the show notes. Um, if you look up Liz Cheney's voting record in the age of Trump, you'll find that, you know, she basically voted with Trump more than 90% of the time. Now that that may not compare favorably with some of the other representatives, like the person who's um, vying for her position uh, in the in in the congressional um, Republican caucus. The caucus chair, Elise Stefanik, is trying to get in there because she's sucked up to Trump uh, a bit more obsequiously. <laughs> And I should mention that Elise Stefanik is um, representative of the district that's just to the north of where I live up here in upstate New York. Um, it's not my district. It's a district. It's the northern New York district that's that borders mine. So she represents people, you know, within a within spitting distance of where I live, frankly. Um, and she's a horrible person. Uh is she as horrible as Liz Cheney? Well, she does support an insurrectionist ex-president. <laughs> so that's pretty bad. Uh, but, I mean, that's a pretty low bar, right? I mean, <laughs> to think that we would be judging people on the basis of the degree to which they support, like, a a lawless overthrow of the American government um, in favor of a autocratic president who was not elected in 2020 and who uh, has absolutely no right to serve, but they would they would have installed him anyway and they feel like he has a legitimate claim to the presidency. The, the thought that we would be sort of judging people on the basis of their position with regard to that question is just, it's mind-blowing to me. It's absolutely mind-blowing. But again, if you look at Liz Cheney's record, um, and I think 538 did kind of a reasonable job of charting this out. It's 92.9%, I believe, um, agreement. And that that's just down a little bit from where she was in, in previous, um, Congresses, you know, like the the last two Congresses, uh, <laughs> she was up around 96% um, when Republicans had the majority and Trump was president. 
Um, but if you look down the list, there's X's and checks, right? X's and checks. X means she voted against Trump. And in, in recent recent weeks, recent months, really since the election, there's been a few cases where she either didn't vote or she voted against Trump's uh, position. But if you go back before that, you'll find that for the most part, she was either voting with Trump or or she was uh, absent. There's a few, a few places where she disagreed with Trump, like on, on the planned withdrawal of troops from Syria uh, on October 16th, she voted to oppose that. Trump was, um, the, Trump's position was in favor of withdrawing troops. So, I mean, that's an instance where, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a complicated issue. But still, honestly, it's more the way Trump did it that was problematic than um, what he was doing, the idea that he was pulling troops out of Syria, that they sort of undermined the Kurds' position in a very abrupt way was not positive. But the idea that they should be pulling troops out of Syria uh, is not a bad idea, not a bad idea at all. And of course, Liz Cheney opposed that. Uh was it because she loves the Kurds? I don't know. I think it's because she loves military intervention. She seems to be in favor of it uh, kind of vehemently throughout her career. And if you sort of ride down the list, there's predictable points of disagreement with Trump. But for the most part, she, again, more than 92% supported his political, his policy positions um, throughout the time that Trump was president. So, you know, I mean, they don't like her because she hasn't bought into the lie that he was cheated out of the presidency, which is a lie that a child could debunk, right? It's a childish lie. I've often said a lot of what Trump says and a lot of the positions that he takes are positions that a five-year-old might take. Or a five-year-old might be embarrassed to take, frankly. I mean, they're almost childlike in their stupidity. Anyone who believes that the president was cheated out of the presidency, that President Trump was cheated out of his presidency in November of 2020, is on crack. They just goddamn lost. It's hard for Republicans to lose, and they lost. It's hard for them to lose in a re-elect, and they lost. They just effing lost and they just can't accept it. And, you know, Liz Cheney doesn't agree, right? So she's sort of mapping out this brand for herself. And look, I'm not criticizing the position. I think, you know, she made a statement about this. That was a good statement. I give her credit for that. That's great. But does that mean... <laughs> that? I mean, the problem I have with the constant coverage is that this is a branding exercise, right? They're giving her free media. <laughs> They're talking her up left and right. Meanwhile, Elise Stefanik is going around, you know, on 
you know, Bannon's show and, you know, uh, expressing her fealty to Trump. Um, our Trump who art in Mar-a-Lago um, and, and, you know, our own representative here in central New York, uh, Claudia Tenney has gone down and kissed the ring, you know, had her picture taken with Trump uh, at, at uh, Mar-a-Lago just recently and tweeted that out. And, you know, she's uh, tweeted out her support for Lee Stefanik being the um, replacement for Liz Cheney as um, chair of the Republican caucus. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's kind of pathetic. It's, it's actually kind of pathetic. But that is literally what their policy position is. That's their core policy position right now, is loyalty to Trump. And you've heard it on TV. I'm not going not to go on about this. I mean, you've, you've heard, if you watched any television, if you listened to the radio, you've heard this over and over again. So you don't need me to talk about it. I'm just saying, I mean, Liz Cheney's one good point is that she doesn't agree with this. That's it. And you could say the same thing about Mitt Romney, right? He got catcalled at the Utah Republican Convention recently. Got catcalled by by uh, some of the uh, Pauls uh, in attendance at that convention. And, uh, you know, that made him a little bit more of a darling with the MSNBC crew, you know, because of his integrity, right? He's a horrible man. (laughs) I mean, it was basically Trump before Trump, right? Except that he didn't have the big personality. Trump has a big sloppy personality that's uh, more in tune with this age of, um, reality television it somehow appeals to people in a way that's familiar to them because they watch reality television and they're used to people freaking out on tv and acting like assholes and he acts like an asshole and people treat him like an equal they feel like oh he's like us you know because he acts like the people on i don't know jersey shore or whatever i don't don't watch reality television I just know it exists. It gave us Trump. It gave us Trump. Would Trump have existed without that? I doubt it. But the mainstream media is just, they're in love with this idea of the redeemable Republican Party. They're in love with this thing that Nancy Pelosi always talks about. Of it, we need, we need a Republican Party that's got integrity. You know that we need an opposition party that's that you know is is uh, that will come up with competing ideas and all this it's bullshit. It's bullshit. Nancy's full of shit, and MSNBC is full of shit on this, hundred percent. But they just love, love, love bipartisanship. And they love redeemable Republicans. In fact, the the entire channel is is populated by redeemed Republicans. Look at it. I mean, just some of them I can't even believe they exist. Honestly. 
the only ones that started out sort of on the left are, you know, Rachel Maddow, kind of liberal, and Chris Hayes, who is further to the left, um, who's a very smart guy, probably the smartest guy who ever had a TV show, but, you know, there you go. And, and Mehdi Hassan, who shows up once in a while, I think has a show on Sundays now. He actually had Noam Chomsky on. He got Noam Chomsky on MSNBC. I just can't even believe it. Which makes me think they're not going to have him on very long. (laughs) I mean, he has a show on their Peacock app as well. But they did give him like an hour on Sunday. Sunday evening sometime. uh, Sometime when people aren't watching. And he had Noam Chomsky on. Which is astonishing. But aside from that, it's just like... (laughs) All day, every day, they're talking about this this thing, you know, this thing called the redeemable Republican. It starts with, you know, Joe Scarborough first thing in the morning at 6 o'clock. Talking about, you know, when he was in Congress 30 years ago, 20 years ago. It's kind of painful. But they love this idea. They love this idea, and they're they're just they're constantly looking for it. That's why they kind of like wring their hands over I don't know they wring their hands over Lindsey Graham. They keep thinking that Lindsey Graham is going to be you know have some integrity because I don't know because he used to hang around with John McCain, and Lindsey Graham has proven time and time again that he just attaches himself barnacle like to the ample behind of some more powerful political figure. Right now, that happens to be Trump. Before, it was somebody like McCain, right? But he doesn't have enough stuff himself to just be, you know, a a center of power himself. He's just this whelk. He's this barnacle that attaches himself to some other powerful person and then gets interviewed on television on Sunday shows, every single frickin' week. For some reason, I don't know why. Because he puts forward a kind of folksy thing, and he's kind of funny, and, you know, he like takes a few shots here and there, you know. And they just love him. They absolutely love him. They love him and they hate him, right? I mean, they, they sort of like, Call him a hypocrite, but they still, you know, once in a while he says something that makes sense, you know. And they they want to love him. He's not lovable. He's a horrible man. <laughs> stop it. I keep, it keeps shouting at the television set. It's like, stop it. Stop doing this. Stop trying to make them redeemable. They're not redeemable. I have a hard enough time with Democrats. I mean, I feel like Democrats are they're within the scope of what's considered a Democrat now, of people who identify as Democrats. There's a broader range of political views than I think at any point in my life. And I feel like we have enough of a battle even just within that coalition. I don't consider myself a strong Democrat. I'm registered Democrat so that I have another vote, right, so I can vote in primaries. And so they have some say over who runs as a Democrat. But I'm not like a strong self-identified Democrat. 
I'm far to the left of the Democrats. But within that broader coalition, there are Democratic socialists and there are, you know, neoliberals <laughs> who are virtual Republicans. There are people from one end to the other. And I, th- I feel like we have enough of a struggle within the context of that coalition uh, to keep us busy without even like, thinking about the Republicans. If we could just like, concentrate on making this sort of center-left party more left and working towards that end and working in tandem with them one another instead of like at each other's throats, <laughs> just exerting our influence within the context of that coalition as if it were a parliamentary system. I think we could sort of move in a, in, in a better direction faster than if we try to work uh, solely on the outside of it. Naturally, a lot of work needs to be done on the outside of the party and stuff that really doesn't have very much to do with party politics or with electoral politics whatsoever. I've talked about this before. Organizing needs to happen around labor issues, around, you know, um, workers' rights, worker-managed cooperatives, that sort of thing. I, I think all that stuff needs to happen on a local level, on a regional level, even on a national level, you know, outside of the context of uh, direct participation in government. But we also have to pay attention to what's happening in government because government makes the most central decisions that affect everyone's lives. We have had an influence on national policy. I think we're seeing that. It's not enough. Not nearly enough. But we've seen the result of that. They are responding in a way to the left in a way that's unlike anything I've seen in my entire life, with the possible exception of maybe during the 1960s. But there was more of a sort of New Deal hangover in those days. It really wasn't that long before that that we had FDR, right? Medicare was a thing that was was sort of in the works for a long time. But now, this is more than we've seen in... This is this is more positive tendency than we've seen in a long time. It's not nearly enough. Uh, we need more, but we we also need to engage. We need to make sure that we're not represented by people like Claudia Tenney and Elise Stefanik and Liz Cheney, right? We need to replace these people with better people. And we need to do it as soon as possible in the most practical way that we can find. And that, my friends, I think just means working within working within the Democratic coalition. I don't think there's any other way to do it currently. There's no third parties that have the kind of power or reach that can effectively do that. So that's all I have to add to that. I don't know. I would listen to some of the, <laughs> I'm sure you already do, <laughs> just listen to other podcasts, uh, more politically astute um, observers who can talk to this phenomenon. I, I don't I don't spend a lot of time on it, so I realize I'm not exactly on point on this, but that's what I have to say. That's all I got.
I'd like to hear what you have to say. You can leave a one-minute voice message when you go to anchor.fm slash strangesound. That's anchor.fm slash strangesound. Leave a one-minute voice message. I'll listen to it. I'll respond to it on, on the show. I may even play it on the show if it's not full of uh, crazy invective and insulting people and calling people racist things and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, I will do it advisedly, but I'm, I'm sure, you know, 99% of the people who would want to comment would, would do it in a way that I would be able to reproduce without too much of a problem. Um, if you want to have a conversation on the air, you can do that too. Uh, we can set up a Zoom session or we can, you know, talk any way you like. We can talk on the phone. I don't care. Um, and I'll I'll play it on, on the show. Be happy to add a voice. Be happy to have kind of like a, a conversation as opposed to just a diatribe by me because I'm sick of hearing me. Frankly, I wish that guy had shut up. Anyway, anyway um, you can also get in touch with me by going to big-green.net and following the contact link. There's other ways to get in touch with me. Um, uh, the podcast has a Twitter feed. It's at Strange Sound Pod. Um, you can look there. Uh, there's other ways. Just go to big-green.net and follow the various tabs to get in touch with me. Be glad to hear from you. Uh, I hope you have a very good week. I look forward to talking to you next week and uh, keep the cards and letters coming. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. <laughs>